0: good morning chris how are you doing
1: good morning uh, I'm doing pretty well how are you doing today
0: oh i'm i'm okay um i had a restless night's sleep because uh first off i worked uh really hard yesterday um uh cleaning my makerspace and then um and then today my uh, I'm planning to go start my coffee table, which is the first big woodworking project I've ever done. Ooh. Um, and so I spent all night like tossing and turning with the cuts that I'm going to be doing running through my head and having like stress dreams about, um, not thinking a process through and having my, uh, my lumber bind in the table saw and, uh, you know end up ruining ruining wood and getting kicked back and all this stuff, and it 's like no it 's going to be okay we'll, yeah, we'll be I fine. bet your
1: brain's just prepping itself it 's like here i 'm going to mm-hmm. like pre preview all of the things that could go wrong, mm-hmm. and so that i've i 've gotten all that out of the way, and I will know when they 're bad <laughs> that yeah. that could be a good reason for stress dreams. my i 've actually been sleeping perfectly well. I mean, if not nearly enough, uh, over the past few weeks, cause I started this new job and I have to cram my head full of a whole mm-hmm. bunch of things that I've never dealt with before. It's like all this manufacturing stuff. Yeah. And, uh, as a result, I, you know, I get home and I just like crash completely and sleep for as long as I possibly can. So last night it being, you know, Friday night and, and this morning, uh, Saturday morning, I crashed early and slept. I mean, a little late, not really that much late. Uh, and uh, so it's my brain actually feels a little bit more like a brain this morning, and not just kind <laughs> a pile of cotton <laughs> between my ears. Yeah,
0: I, I go through cycles of of good and bad sleep. So I get I get about a year and a half of really good sleep, and then about six months of really bad sleep. Ooh, and I'm coming out of the six months, so it's it's good. So, um. Uh, A few weeks ago, um, uh, oh, I guess it wasn't actually a few weeks ago, I think it was last week, Um, you shot me a message on Slack and said, Hey, uh, do we have a document for Notion Farm topics? And uh, and I was like, yeah, I've got one. And you're like, here, put this on there. And you sent me a link. Um, And I I honestly, I didn't even really look at what the link was. I just kind of copied and pasted it and went on with my day. And today, when I was going over potential topics for the show, <laughs> um, I opened this link and holy cow, did you find a gold mine of rant worthy uh, nonsense uh, in this link? So, why don't you go ahead and tell uh, our listeners what you sent me?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, this is one that I've actually been kind of keeping an eye on for years now. Uh, I, I want to say, yeah, it was uh, 2015 and uh i i watch kickstarter i i love crowdfunding kind of stuff and platforms and also the 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 projects that people do with crowdfunding um uh, spaceup was actually one of the uh the first i mean not first first but one of the really early kickstarter uh mm-hmm. projects mm-hmm. and it works so well that i love that kind of you need to present your project in this very clear way um in a single page so that people can digest it And then say, yes, I actually do want to put money into this so that I will get some benefit out. But of course, um, in the intervening years, Kickstarter has become this platform for like, I'm going to send a donut to the moon. And um, people are like, oh, donuts on the moon are such a great idea. I will put money into that without really thinking about, okay, donut, great. Okay, that's good to the moon is kind of a difficult part and they're not really talking about how they're going to do that. So there are plenty of these projects where it's just like we're going to, you know, do something extraordinary and people are like I like extraordinary things. Well, the other like half of that is on Kickstarter. You'll get these products and it's like it's a revolutionary new product to do a thing. And Kickstarter has very strict rules on that that you have to show a prototype, you have to show it in use, and it can't just be kind of a, a diagram of what the thing's eventually going to look like, because they know that people will they'll vote with their dollars for the idea, mm. but then as the project goes along, they'll expect the idea to be a real thing that they they get in the mail. And so the quintessential example of this, again, back in 2015, I want to say that it was like, you know, late in the year, was this laser razor. Okay, so picture looks, you know, pretty much like your, your regular old um, uh, safety razor. Uh, but instead of where the blades are, there's, um, in I'm looking at the photo right now, there's just kind of this black surface, and on the underside of it, there's an optical fiber, and the optical fiber is glowing red. So there's this kind of idea that laser is being passed through an optical fiber somehow, and that's going to do your shaving for you. Well, this caught people's attention, and this idea of it's like, and how does how does that actually get put in the uh, in the story? Um, okay, so it's powered by a small laser, which cuts through hair for an inc- incredibly close shave without irritating or damaging the skin. Um, and it says there's no scratches, no razor burn. It's an effortless smooth sm- uh, smooth stroke. And so it's basically claiming all these things about this laser razor, and people are looking at it, and it's like, "That's so futuristic. I'm totally in i'm gonna i'm gonna you know back this well here's the problem <laughs> the in the in the original Kickstarter, they showed this prototype, which was just you know kind of plastic handle with a plastic head and and this uh, optical fiber glowing red, but they didn't actually show it say working." <laughs> or anybody actually using it for anything. And so some of the folks who were coming in and and you know they raised a lot very quickly. It was I think like a million a million and a half in a few days uh, and there were plenty of articles being written about it. But the articles, So so on the
0: ahead. on Indiegogo it says that they raised half a million
1: dollars. Yes. And so that that was the Indiegogo part of it. So oh. on the on Kickstarter they had gotten up to i don't remember what it was it was it was over a million dollars i wanted to say that it was closer to two um and so some of the folks who came in and this is when i started looking at it said wait a minute they haven't actually shown that this thing is working at all not even as a prototype and they're saying they're going to deliver it next spring so this is like fall of 2015. And they said that the delivery date would be like February 2016. I'm like, they should be in production right now if they're going to deliver at that schedule. And in production should mean that they've already had human trials because you're going to put a laser next to your face. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like all the common sense kind of reason bells are ringing. And so people were actually, you know, putting that in the comments and then, you know, writing articles about how this doesn't seem right. And so finally, um, Kickstarter themselves basically said, "You have to show this thing working, like really working, or we're going to shut down your project." And so they made a video, and it, it's out on on YouTube. I'll have to I'll have to find it.
0: It's actually on the IndieGoGo page as well.
1: the uh, the The video of it um, <laughs> working on the guy's arm hair is that is that yeah. the one?
0: Yeah, and it's like green cast real bad, and
1: <laughs> and so they show it and it's basically this person like almost like hand holding an optical fiber and using it to like hack off one hair at a time
0: literally one hair at a time
1: <laughs> like and it takes like 2 seconds per hair and it it very obviously leaves like this very long piece of stubble from the hair to the point where if you if you look at that video and then look at what they're claiming like you know there's you know, no razor burn and it's an effortless smooth stroke. Well, that's right, because it's going to take you like 15 years to cut a beard with this thing. Mm-hmm. And so Kickstarter, Kickstarter shut it down. And that should be the end of the story. The end of the story should be um, that they shut it down. Everybody goes, yeah, that was probably a bad idea. And then it's done. But that's not how <laughs> it worked. The folks from SCARP came over to Indiegogo and said, you know, well, we're not going to let them shut us down. We're going to raise money over here. And it's, you know, it's too bad that we couldn't do over over here, but Indiegogo doesn't have the same restrictions. And they were able to raise half a million dollars. Now, this is after it's been shown that it's not even in a prototype stage, that it, like, literally does not work. Their explanations for why it doesn't work aren't it's like well you know it, it it works like this now but we have this plan to to move it forward everything that they were saying about the the production process and how you know well we'll need the final fiber for this before we all of that completely um contradicted the schedule that they said that they were going to have we're going to have this thing in in spring and and it was all very clearly laid out by all of the commentators or the, the commenters Who were saying, with this schedule and this prototype, there's no way you can possibly, I mean, it's just, it's not going to be possible for you to deliver this thing. But they held, it's like, no, we're really confident and everything else is in place and it's going to go. And there was a whole group of people, obviously, that believed that and were willing to put the money in. So, they closed funding. Uh, They closed funding well over what they had asked for. And that was in October of 2015. So it's been fascinating to watch the process since then, because, of course, that's not where it ends. Where it it, it continues is that every so often, every few months, they hit some milestone. um, And that milestone is basically their previously established deadline. (laughs) So February arrives and people are like, great where's where's the razor and they're like wow you know we've run into some you know production snags and we're currently working with and it's just a complete nonsense story and you can Mm. you can hear it it feels like nonsense from top to bottom because of course every time they're uh, contradicting exactly the last thing that they were talking about where it's like well everything's in place except for this final thing that we need to put in production that's why we need the money so they get the money and then it's like well we've discovered that this thing that we're putting into production isn't actually working quite well and so we need to redesign it it's like okay and then they give a new deadline they say okay well it's going to be you know 3 more months and so the 3 months come past and people are like where's the razor now we haven't heard anything we're still not seeing any you know video of the prototypes working we're not seeing any of this and they just come out with yet another like little story about it's like, well, we've run into this, you know, process problem and we're doing this, you know, issue. And so now it's 2017. And I think the most recent update was, yeah, in, in May. So just last month, and they're still telling the same story. It's the exact same story. It's, we're at the very beginning of this development process and we're just like, you know, Moving past these initial hurdles, and so we're gonna be done really soon and And the response from the commenters is still the same where they're basically like, "Well, thanks for keeping us updated. It's like that you you have to understand that if you plot the dotted line between like where they are and where they're gonna to get to like having the razor that they're talking about, it's gonna be like fifty years, yeah, <laughs> so it It's fascinating to me that at this point, you know, even the people who have put money into it, the backers, I would just let that go after a year. I mean, you know, October 2016, it should have been, you know, apparent. I would have let it go after, you know, the Kickstarter. But it's, it's fascinating to me the folks who will just tenaciously hold on to the idea that this thing is going to work despite all evidence.
0: Well, it's it's kind of one of those things where you don't want to admit defeat. You don't want to admit that. I mean, like I, I'm sure it's it's a blend of of both wanting this futuristic technology to exist and also not wanting to admit that you were duped, right?
1: Yeah, that that's a good point because there is that. Oh, what is that effect now? It's it's like the backfire effect, where if you start the conversation about trying to convince somebody, you know, that they were wrong with the fact that they were wrong, they're mm-hmm. much more likely to use your evidence against your argument.
0: Yeah, and, and strengthen their belief in, yes. in whatever it was, yeah.
1: Exactly. No matter what, you know, dissonance that requires. So that could be it. That every every time they're seeing, you know, the naysayers, they discount that, but then they have to discount that internally, so they can't use that evaluation when um, deciding whether the thing is, is going to actually benefit them
0: so i i'm so conflicted um, because on the one hand um, these folks are, are clearly um, th- this is obviously a scheme just to get the money and run which they did very successfully i think it's like now four and a half million dollars between Kickstarter and Indiegogo, right? Did did Kickstarter actually give them the cash?
1: No, Kickstarter actually ended the uh, ended it, and uh, they only got the Indiegogo half million. Which, hmm.
0: I mean a half a half million split between like three or four guys is not bad. Um, It's it's no four million dollars, which I'm sure is what they were, um, you know. Foaming at the mouth for um but so so at the one on the one hand i I really want to be mad at these guys, um and I really want to hate this product um and then there are two other sides of my brain: one is just laughing at how bad it is, and the other is super super impressed um at how well they did um and I don't know if if their success is due to um just the the sheer like future nostalgia, right? Like this thing looks like it was, is pulled from an 80s sci-fi movie. Um, it's promising, um, a type of technology that we totally saw in the 80s promised to us over and over. Um, and so it's this, this future nostalgia and just the concept is good. And then it, it's gotta be a combination of that. And then actually, um, this is damn good execution. Like the design looks really, really good. um, And, uh, you know, as long as you, um, turn off your reality checking, uh, processes in your head, uh, this is a totally amazing product, um, that looks good and, uh, and is presented well, like the video on their Indiegogo page, um, it is laughable for many reasons, but like, it's got all the, like, you know, uh, transitions and film effects and a good voiceover and it's got men with beards and accents and it's like it it's so perfect and so horrible
1: yes and it it feels really good it's the Mm -hmm. kind of thing where if it if you if you could scratch the surface and there was something behind it yeah absolutely it it's it's got a great hook one thing that i'm wondering is did they really take the money and run or are they <laughs> are they self-deluded? Duped? Exactly, because <laughs> it, there's that idea that kind of um, I don't know how much Simpsons you watch, but uh, there's an episode of The Simpsons where there are some animatronic robots, you know, walking in a parade, and one comes over and and shows Homer and Marge kind of all of the the electronics inside of its head, and Marge says, "See, Homer, that's why your robot didn't work." And it's that you can just picture him. He's he's making the robot, and he makes it look just like robot. But he doesn't really actually know what right. needs to go inside. Right. And this feels like that. It like you could have and and you know there's the story of kind of how they developed the uh, the technology for the the optic fiber and this idea of using this particular wavelength of light to to cut hair. You could picture somebody who's used to working at that level of kind of maybe some basic research Mm -hmm. saying, I bet you could cut hair with this. Mm -hmm. And then pairing with somebody who's like an awesome industrial product designer and saying, well, you know, if you, if you did it like this, it would work just like a razor. And they go, wow, that's great. We should totally make one of these and just have no idea how to actually do that or what the production challenges would be or how far down the road you actually need to be to execute on something like that. And so they're like, well, you know, heck, let's just tell people about it and and see where it goes Um, to the point where they're presenting this front as, you know, here's our idea and people are seeing it and they're like, that's a great idea. And neither one of them is looking at the actual reality of, you know, where is this thing going to come from? How are we actually going to develop it? And and I'm just picturing, and I feel so sad for them mm. if, if that's the case. Because they're sitting at this lab in Irvine or whatever, just sitting around a table and going, oh, what? what do we do next? <laughs> what? I mean, we, we're we nowhere near any of this. And people are, like, banging down the door for, for us to finish this thing. And I don't know what we're supposed to do next. Let's just, you know, keep going, I guess. Uh, I've... I, I'm I'm kind of playing out this scenario because I've worked yeah. at a company like that, yeah, where we presented an idea for a product, and it actually got funding to the tune of you know millions of dollars, uh, and you know you get the office building and you put the staff together and you sit in a room and you're like, how do we even software? What what is <laughs> <laughs> what do we do next? Yeah, and you get six months down the road and I'm like we've got nothing to show what are we actually supposed to do at this point um and it's very hard at that point in that same way where it's like i can't admit that not only was i wrong but i was this disastrously wrong this whole time and it's hard for me to even admit that to myself
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh i think it really is a good um because i mean as soon as you started saying that like yeah, I, I think you may be right. I think they may be self-deluded. Um and it really uh serves to highlight um a a tenet that I try to stick to and I don't do it terribly well, which is uh don't tell people your goals. Um don't talk about, you know, what you're trying to achieve, because that way if you don't achieve it, you only disappoint yourself. And if you do achieve it, it comes out of left field. And everybody is just stunned to see this final product. Um, I got to Google real quick and see who said that because it was somebody who, let's see.
1: Yeah, that sounds really interesting because I'm, I'm thinking of that in terms of, say, Masten Space Systems. And Mastin does amazing things every day. I am so impressed by that company every single day. And the only thing that would make... What they do not impressive is comparing it to the original video that they put together of kind of their end goal, which was a suborbital flight of, you know, this particular kind of vehicle. And if you compare that to what they're actually flying with, you know, Zombie and and Zero and and, uh, the vehicles that they have, they're nowhere near on the same scale or class. But that's totally irrelevant. And so if you take out kind of that kind of paper rocket that they started with, the things that they're flying are amazing. Mm. If you just watch a video of a maston rocket, it's like rockets shouldn't do that. Right. The fact that they can do that means so much about their control software and the, the rocket itself. And, you know, the fact that they're doing it multiple times a day means something about their operations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've... On, on the other podcast on orbital mechanics, you've talked to Mass and Folk who talk about yeah. how it is that they go about that.
0: And, and they act like it's no big deal because they know how to do this really well.
1: They do. And it, it could even be that in the back of their minds, they're looking at their goal and they're saying, well, we're not at the goal yet, but we're just, you know, on our way to it. We're doing this amazing thing. And like, but that's amazing. Yeah. So. Well,
0: and, you know, to... to some like uh, to a lesser extent SpaceX does the same thing um where the entire point of this uh, of this company was to put a greenhouse on Mars as soon as possible um and Elon wanted to buy um soviet use or uh, uh, unused soviet ICBMs uh just to put a greenhouse on Mars and you know that didn't work and it turns out that oh actually this path to Mars is a lot longer than you expected but like SpaceX has also not accomplished their goal and it also looks like they may not get boots on Mars by 2026 which is what Elon Musk wanted to do he said uh 2024 to 2026 right was the was the goal that he was shooting for
1: Indeed, and and it's interesting because I I end up just discounting those goals now, yeah. Because um, you know Elon will do that; he'll get in front of a crowd and say, "This is what I would like." Uh, Richard Branson does that, where he says, well, "Ideally, I'd like to be flying by the end of next year, whatever yeah. year it happens to be." Right, and and we all feel that way. It's like well. What would be the ideal outcome of this thing that you're working on? It's like, well, ideally, I'd like to see the, the grand outcome of it soon. But the, the interesting thing is that life is what happens to you when you're making other plans. And I've seen that at company after company at after company where you have an idea, but then you start making the thing that people really respond to. And then that's what you make at that point. Uh, It's like, uh, what is it? Slack uh, started that way where they were designing a game. And in order to design the game, they wanted to work together. And so they made a platform for communicating with each other. And everybody loved it so much that that's what they do now. Uh, The the founder of, of Slack had previously founded Flickr. And Flickr had the exact same story which was they started making a game and needed a place to store all of the uh, the assets, the photos, the things that go into the game. And people started using, or the the employees started using that for their own photos. And they were like, this is great. There's nothing like this out there. Let's you know show this to people. And it was Flickr. So when nobody knows that you're making the game, then they just see Slack or Flickr. And they say, this is great, this thing that you've made.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's really awesome. I I had not heard either of those two things.
1: Yeah, they're they're fun stories, and and apparently I I think because I'm I'm trying to think, uh, was it Stuart Butterfield? I think so. Um, who's that founder that you know kind of shares that story? And I'm pretty sure he's still working on a game. So <laughs> maybe someday we'll see it.
0: God it's going to be an amazingly beautiful uh game with lots of good communication. Indeed. Yeah, so so don't don't tell people your goals. Like I I really I really believe that if you have the self-control um to delay that gratification cuz I th- I think that's one of the big like actual psychological issues. Um in the show notes is going to be um a link to a TED talk uh by Derek Sivers and I, I believe this is the talk where he talks about this and he says, look, if you tell people your goals, not only are you just setting yourself up uh, for more failure than you you know, um, possibly would have set yourself up for if you didn't, um, but also you are pressing those um, reward circuit buttons inside your head and getting the satisfaction of telling people about your project and getting accolades um, and and that satisfies your need to actually complete the project.
1: Yes, I have found that over and over and over again in uh, in my life and because it, it it does. It feels like when you've communicated it to somebody, it's like okay, it's out there. I don't really have to worry about it anymore. It's <laughs> it's been presented. I can uh, I can wipe my hands now. Mm. Uh, I I felt that way actually about space up. Mm. Um, so um, I don't I don't know if we've talked about space up, but it's uh, it, it's just a get together that is modeled entirely after ones that uh, were in the tech industry that I went to and loved. And when I would meet people at space conferences, I would say, yeah, we should totally do this same, this same sort of thing. And I just, I assumed that by me telling somebody that that should be done, that it would happen (laughs) at some point and it, and it didn't. And finally, people just kept telling me, it's like, you need to do one. And so I did, but then I thought that that would be the end because I even invited all of the people that I wanted to go out and make their own space ups to the first space up. And I said, great, go do it. And they kept coming back to me and saying, it's like, well, we, we need your support in order to do this thing. And so I was kind of dragged into it. Um, but then when I actually sat down and was like, Hey, maybe I could make a go of, of making these things. And I had this kind of grand plan in my head. And when I set out to do that, it it just didn't happen at all it was it was really like homer and the robot again where i made an organization to do a thing and turned it on and just nothing happened i mean literally nothing and i, I and eventually i was just like okay i'm going to turn this off i'm going to set it aside <laughs> i'm going to let somebody else do the thing because this is totally it i i just i don't know what the first thing is to to actually do it so
0: so, yeah, that, that's the problem with an unconference, um, which uh, for anybody who's not aware, I, I'm going to try to explain this and you can correct me if I get it wrong. Um, but an unconference is where, as opposed to a, a normal conference where you schedule speakers and you very rigorously plan out, um, you know, multiple tracks and every moment of Uh, you know, of your two or three days and and you let people pick among these different tracks and decide what talks they want to attend and what booths they want to look at. And you, everything is just super, super planned. An unconference is where you get everybody to show up. And then once you're there, people kind of sign up to do talks and will stand up and and do talks and then, um, you know, discuss things. And is that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and it came out of um, uh, Tim O'Reilly so tim o'reilly of o'reilly publishing he he knew all sorts of very interesting people and he he wanted them to talk to each other and they would meet at conferences but then they were always just kind of talking out in the hallway rather than you know going into the thing that the conference was for and so he decided to create this kind of camp uh it, it was actually during a period where uh the publishing industry was going through some troubles and he had a lot of extra office space at at o'reilly publishing and he said well Let's just bring in the friends of O'Reilly, the the foo, and have them talk to each other. And I'm not going to tell you what to talk about, but, you know, everybody come in. And so he had, like, Steve Jurvetson and um, Neil Stevenson and uh, um, Esser Dyson and just, like, these fascinating, interesting people. And he said, talk about whatever. I bet it'll be brilliant. And, of course, it was um and so you have you know neil stevenson go and write up on the board it's like during this time period i'm going to talk about you know space travel and and what we need to do in our next you know era of space travel and of course you want to go and and chat with you know him about that so that foo camp like became kind of the it place to go um and there were a bunch of people who weren't invited to it because they weren't friends of O'Reilly and they started a parallel camp called bar camp, which was just for anyone anywhere. Um, And so that worked really well. It was, you know, they had them in San Francisco and Nashville and London and, you know, that kind of thing. They're still going on around the world, but it's that same idea where it's like you gather the people together, you make a space where they can be comfortable and talk to each other and you give them the barest structure of you know, during a time at a place, we're going to talk about something, but you fill it in. And it really, I mean, it's still very hard to put together. It's its a lot of work, as any, you know, space up organizer will tell you, um, because you need to make sure that people are comfortable. You need to make sure that they get what it's about before they start, because otherwise they're just going to, you know, wander around wondering <laughs> where this stuff is. Um, and you need to to uh, make sure that all the right people are there, and and that sounds a little elitist, and it's it's very it's a tough concept to not make exclusionary. But the point is just think of all of the most awesome people you wish were around the dinner table with you, <laughs> and invite them. So, like for the the first space up, um, I I kind of stunned myself uh, because. I had talked to a lot of people in San Diego um, who were in the space industry or at universities or even in high school and interested in space. Um, San Diego was actually the site of the Convair plant where a lot of the early um, kind of Apollo era um, space stuff was going on, the the Atlas project and that kind of thing. And so there were people who had worked, you know, bending metal on the Atlas rocket that took Mm -hmm. – john glenn into space mm. and they had these great stories and they it, i was like i could listen to these stories mm-hmm. forever just come be my grandpa and <laughs> just tell me these stories <laughs> so those were the people that i invited um to start with you know people from the 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 local space industry and that kind of thing but then i thought well you know let's just go big on this and so i invited you know, uh, Ben Brockert from Maston Space Systems and, you know, a couple of folks who worked at SpaceX and engineers and, you know, scientists from, you know, JPL and that kind of thing who were doing the, the real stuff that was fascinating me. And it kind of overshot my expectations because I invited Ben Brockert and, you know, gave him a free ticket. And uh and then like a few minutes later, uh Dave Mastin signed up and <laughs> and paid to go. <laughs> I felt so bad. I'm still I mean to this day, I am absolutely terrified to talk to Dave Mastin, even though, you know, at at Space Ups we've kind of chatted and you know, he's actually given a presentation with uh with my son Ben um on you know, Legos in space and that kind of thing. Oh that's fantastic. And so and, and and so people are like, Why don't you just talk to Dave? I'm like, Because Dave terrifies me. He's really yeah. cool.
0: we I don't talk to him.
1: Right. Yeah. But that's the whole point, is that I I could invite him or, you know, if I thought about it, I could invite him to Space Up and he came. And so we could be in the same room. And, you know, there were high school students and uh, folks who were looking for um, um, internships that weren't really... I mean, there was one guy, Derek. He wasn't sure if he wanted to be a musician or uh, work on airplanes. Yeah, it's a tough and, one. And he went and talked to people at SpaceUp, and somebody was like, well, you could do an internship here at the museum, and we'll you know, teach you how to work on airplanes. And then in that same room was somebody who worked at Xcorp And they're like, well, once you've done that in- internship, come talk to us because we need people who can bend metal for what we're doing. Mm. And he did. That's exactly what he ended up doing. Mm. So just putting the people in the room, the, you know, the old and the young, the insiders and the outsiders, those conversations were fascinating. So Mm. anyway, that's just me ranting about space. No,
0: no, that's cool. Um, uh, Yeah. And it it is really a bummer that, um, that the concept didn't take off. as you know you might think it would um but it also kind of makes sense because there's so much activation energy uh required to put something like that together and if it's not a for-profit company there's nobody to um get that activation energy uh started and then allow people to add to it and the the entire concept really seems to hinge around critical masses i mean um, you said it's a matter of getting the right people to come. And I, I don't think it's I don't think that's exclusionary. I think that's just getting a, a critical mass. You need a certain percentage of the people there to be able to talk and a certain percentage that will listen. Um and and getting the the critical mass of people who can talk is really, really difficult. That's the that's the hard part of the equation because there are plenty of people who will sit and listen. Um, And I I wonder if through all of that, what you really wanted to do was start a podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Although, I mean, we can also talk about goals and podcasts as well. So I love the format of this particular podcast because it doesn't feel like one to me. Um, Thank you, by the way, for like doing all of the heavy lifting and all well, let's just call it all of the work so that I can I can just kind of swan in and and uh put on a headset that is kind of marginal to begin with and uh and just kind of chat. Um that's awesome. Uh comparing this to uh I did a pilot for Tomorrow Cities, uh mm. which is a video webcast. And my goodness, all of the work that goes into make that and that first episode, that pilot, was great but terrible at the same time. Uh, it was right in the smack in the middle of the uncanny valley of uh-huh. high enough production values that you expect higher production values. Yeah. And it ended up being, again, one of those um, you know Homer and the robot moments where I looked at it and I was like, I have a list a mile long of all the things that are wrong with this podcast and i have no idea i mean i could spend the next like 5 years trying to refine it into something that's that's usable and so i just i have to ask myself whether whether that's worth it i mean i don't know i mean worth it for other people but also worth it for me it's uh it's a tough one and and i mean i have to salute what you do with uh the orbital mechanics too because there's a ton of effort that goes into that. And I, I don't even, I I mean, I'm kind of dreading the day. I have to, to um, confess this to you. I'm kind of dreading the day that you're going to expect the two of us to have that level of quality. on this. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm like, Oh, I don't know. That's going to be more than the 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can put in,
0: look at, look at how we've done this podcast so far. Um, I paid for, uh, notion.farm, the URL and that's it. Uh, we're hosted on GitHub, which is free right now. Um, uh, last for the first episode I did zero editing. I literally just, uh, plugged in the, the doot to do's at the beginning and end, um, and uploaded it and called it a day. Um, so this episode, I'm going to try to do a little more, try to take out some coughs and things, but, um, uh, I mean, like I, I have not started a Patreon. I have not uh, paid for expensive hosting. Um, this is supposed to be as relaxing as possible, so yeah, it's <laughs> don't even worry about it.
1: Yeah, and and I, I appreciate that, and I I think that there's there's a lot can, that can be done with the go fast and make it as good as you can uh, approach. Uh, there's there's a podcast that I love, um, the Children of Tendu. It's um, uh, Javier uh, Grigio-Marxwatch and uh, Jose Molina, who are two Hollywood writers. Um, they've done things like uh, uh, Buffy and uh, Firefly and The Middleman and uh, The 100, uh, Lost, that kind of thing. And so they've got all the great stories, but they have no free time. But they, they like getting together, the two of them, and, and kind of ranting at each other the, the way that we do. And so they'll literally just record on Jose's iPhone sitting between them. And it, it it's the the sound quality is terrible, but it's kind of on the on the, the good side of terrible where it's the 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 terrible end of the the uncanny valley. So it's not a problem. And, you know, they're they're stopping to take their drinks and they're, you know, um, you know, outside. And so the, the neighbor is uh, has mm. the lawn mower going and that kind of thing. And you just don't care because they're telling these stories about their their life in hollywood, so
0: well, and that's that's the thing with podcasts right You have to start with the content and then get the production values up if they're going to go up and um, I feel very, very fortunate to work on the orbital mechanics where we literally have people paying us to do this um, and like I don't understand why because I don't think we're I don't think we are that good um. Yes. And that's
1: interesting. I, I wonder if you've got a goal in your head that uh that's very different from what I see. Because I mean, I love the orbital mechanics. That's that's how we that's how we met. Um and I I've been listening a lot more to it um over the past couple of weeks because I have this long commute into work. Mm. Yeah, that'll do and, it. And It is amazing. I mean, the content is 100%. It Even if it was, you know, the two of you and there were problems and the audio quality was was bad or, you know, there were coughs or like anything, I would not care because the two of you are exactly in the right space where you're talking about things and you know more than I do about those things and you're explaining more than I do. So I'm learning the whole time. But at the same time, you're just right out in front of me. So you can explain something. And I'm like, oh, I get that. Wait, that's really cool. Somebody actually did that. That's that's amazing. And I'll go to, you know, to work or to, you know, to out to dinner with somebody. And I'll tell them the same story. I'll tell them about the Skylab space hacks. Or I'll, you know, talk about, oh, and, you know, the the I, I just listened to the Zero to Infinity episode. Oh, man. Where he's, and, and it was just like, I don't know how you do it. It's this amazing, like you're right in the zone and everything you say is just like, wow, that's really fascinating. And exactly like I can still understand it. It's not like so technical that it's beyond. Um, and even the things that you're like, this is a really technical thing and I'll break it down for you. I'm like, thank you, <laughs> because you like pick the right moment to break it down. And so I think a lot of it is is the two of you and the fact that you're in that same place that I would be in your place. And so you have the same conversation that I'd have. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's, I love it. Well, I really appreciate that.
0: I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's funny because like, um, I, I do not suffer from imposter syndrome and, um, I know so many just amazing people who, um, critically, I mean, suffer from imposter syndrome really, really, really bad. Um, and, um, and and I've always felt really lucky to never have suffered from it. And I think I might with the orbital mechanics because we're clearly doing something right. And yet every week I I feel like uh, that wasn't good enough. I I think I'm, I'm benefiting from the um, don't talk about your goals um, tenant in this place, but it's also um, allowing a lot of things to fester inside of me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, expectations uh that, that don't quite make it out uh the way I would hope they would.
1: Now there there's one phrase that you use that I think is really critically important, and that's every week. You said <laughs> yeah, I kidding. think it was even the first episode. Um the, the two of you were talking about like kind of your plan. And your plan for, for the show was this we're gonna put something out every week. Yeah. And we're gonna try to do it every week, and we're just gonna try to have something. And you've done that. And that regularity of it, I think is, is critically important there. You, you were talking about critical mass before, and that's really hard because it does. It, it means that whenever I come back to it, you're there and you're there in that way. That kind of reminds me. It's like, Oh, you know, these are going to keep happening. And the, the, the arrow of time is going to keep moving <laughs> forward um, whether I'm there or not. So, It's almost there's a part of my brain that's like okay I'm compelled to listen. Uh, I think early on you actually joked it's like there are people who are catching up you know with the the first ten episodes and I don't understand why they would do that. I'm like well because you know if if I love what's going on now and I see that there's a bunch more of that I'm gonna go binge listen if that's even a thing. Oh totally yeah to the rest of it and. And it's interesting because there's and I I do that every time I kind of you know get a few weeks behind I'm like oh there's like four hours <laughs> of you know listening to space news that I I know has already happened yeah. or like yeah. um you know a launch that you know yes that you talked about the launch going on and then the next week you're talking about the you know what happened on the launch but I listen to it anyway. And i don't skip through those parts i realized that actually i was when i was listening yesterday i don't skip through those parts because you tuck all of these little interesting things into the description of what's going to happen and also the description of what just happened that i i missed i totally missed Hmm. um and it's it's neat to get that extra bit of context whenever it comes through and i don't know when it's going to happen because i can't scan it, you know <laughs> right and so i just i listen to the whole thing straight through
0: huh yeah that's interesting and and i kind of feel like that precludes us from a lot of people who have much more technical knowledge than we do um but that's one of the reasons why our interviews are clearly flagged in the in the feed um if you cuz if i was listening to this show to be honest uh, I would probably just listen to the interviews or at least the episodes with interviews in them. Um, and so I want it to be really clear when there's somebody who is, you know, putting out first, uh, first degree knowledge. Um, and c- cause I think that that is way more interesting. I think that I'm a much better interviewer than I am um, a newsreader.
1: Yeah. I think there's, there's definitely some interest in that. I, that's, yeah, that's an odd one for me because the, um, the blend between the interviews and the, the history, the history is actually something that I've found very interesting. And then just the, the spin on the news rather than the news itself. Yeah.
0: We, uh, we have an attitude, don't we? Yes.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> like it's it. going to get us in trouble at some point. Uh, I actually had, uh, I, <laughs> I'm working on scheduling a couple of interviews and uh, I had um, a fairly uh, large organization <laughs> um, ask me what my, uh, what the political leanings of the show were. And uh, cause they're like, Oh, we're looking for conflicts of interest. And I was like, well, politically, you know, the only, the only political leaning that we have is anti-nationalism. Um, we really, really appreciate any humans doing anything cool. Um, and, and you know, so, so that's kind of the way we lean. And, um, and then I was like, do, do I tell them how much we bash SLS? Um, do I tell them that we praise SpaceX, uh, maybe a little bit more than we should, but then turn around and make fun of them, Like, so i i basically said you know we try to keep our our positive and negative coverage in quotes in in balance <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah i think that's a, a good way of putting it and uh um unfortunately the term meritocracy has been uh ruined by the uh the tech industry which is maybe another topic for another time but um i i i think you do take a, a meritocratic approach to you won't you won't bash a project that is doing something awesome. Uh, So it's like, you know, this thing that we're not really in favor of gave rise to this awesome rocket test. And so we're gonna, you know, dive into the details of of the rocket. This, you know, massive and overfunded program gave rise to this really interesting spacewalk. Or, you know, this, you know, company that we absolutely love did this, you know, amazingly stupid thing and it's i think you you take each individual topic on its merits and and that's i think that's a, a great way to go about it yeah
0: uh, thank you i appreciate that yeah i mean it's it's intentional uh like it's something that i think about a lot because i i am really afraid that one day um you know charles bolden is gonna to listen to my show and go. What the f- are these guys doing? Uh, what? Why are they bashing my programs? And it's like, well, Charlie, I, I love what you've done. Like, don't don't get me wrong. I don't know. I don't know. I, I really don't think that uh, Charles Bolden is ever gonna to listen to our show. But okay, um,
1: I, I will not predict uh, one way or the other. <laughs> I'll, I'll just end up wrong. Right. 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 <laughs>
0: Uh, okay. So, um, before we go, I think we have to go back to Scarp. Okay. Um, and I think we need to talk about, uh, their, their Kickstarter video. Um, because we, we talked about how obviously successful it is. I mean, it's just like patently, that's the way to do a Kickstarter video. Like they nailed it. Um, but also the video is so laughable. Um, you see um pretty much everybody on the team has beards, which seems kind of ridiculous for people designing razors. Absolutely. Um and the one guy who is clean shaven has got um like a very, very difficult face to shave. He's got a lot of nooks and crannies. Um so but and so uh he has a really bad shave. Uh he he doesn't look clean shaven, he looks really stubbly, and it's like, oh well, did you try shaving with your own razor? Um, And then one shot in particular, I mean, there are a bunch of really idiotic shots, like uh 3d printing uh, their handles in a way that clearly could not be successfully printed.
1: Um, I hadn't spotted that. Yeah.
0: They, <laughs> um, they have them standing on their head um, and the head is tilted upwards. So there's like no contact with the bed um, and they're printing the super long handle And it's an incredibly amazing looking print. So they clearly just put an injection molded model on the bed, uh, probably put some silly putty behind it to hold it up, and then uh, started um, printing with no filament. I mean, like, that's really what it looks like. Um, But then there's this one shot that really stands out to me. It's this guy soldering on um, a little integrated circuit board. (laughs) And uh, the board is uh, being held in the air, uh, by a third hand, but the third hand isn't, um, a a, a circuit board clamp. It's just a, an alligator clip and it's holding onto two wires that are surface soldered onto this, um, onto this board. And the, um, and so the the depth of field is really narrow, and it's focused on the board. And one of the creators is behind the board, uh, supposedly soldering something onto the board. And this is like a totally uh, horrible way to solder because the board is going to be waggling around in the air. But he's really he's really just waving a soldering iron near the board. He has no <laughs> solder in his hands. Um, it, it's just, and the board is way too big to fit inside of the. Of the razor anyway oh it's so bad like this entire video i feel like we could sit and go shot for shot and just completely mock them because it's so bad
1: Um, yeah and and you'd almost need a panel of people because (laughs) i didn't spot either of those things um you know i did spot the like the physical flaws and the you know the the beards anybody can like spot it's like wait a minute all of these people have beards but yeah i mean you know the the 3d print I would have just kind of take it as as given because I don't look at that all the time and uh and the soldering I didn't notice waving the magic wand <laughs> to uh <laughs> magically solder. Um,
0: but it's it's really like they built that video on hard mode, isn't it? I mean they they to- they smashed that out of the park. 4 million
1: dollars? Yes. They, oh, they w- was it 4 cuz that yeah. that oh my
0: yeah, um, if you look at the Verge uh, uh, article that yeah. I linked, uh, four million dollar laser razor campaign bound from Kickstarter is already on Indiegogo.
1: Yeah, so the the Indiegogo version of it only captured you know an eighth of that, so that must have been disappointing. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, that's about seven and a half million dollars worth of, or sorry, seven. I'm I'm. I'm doing the same thing with numbers that you do. Uh, The three and a half million dollars that people must be, uh, you know, very relieved to not have uh, spent.
0: Yeah. And, and it's really interesting because um, uh, on Kickstarter, they had a goal of, of $160,000 and then they raised 4 million and then they went over to Indiegogo. And again, they, Set the funding target at $160,000, um, which is just, it's so interesting. It's like they came up with this master plan and it, it succeeded uh, certainly beyond their wildest dreams. <laughs> And then they turn around and go to Indiegogo and they go, okay, let's do everything exactly the same way. Don't change a thing. Should we, right. you know, oh, well, hey, we raised $4 million. Should we bump this up a little bit more? Should we go for a quarter million? No, no, no. Keep it everything the same. It yeah. all The lightning will strike again.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which again, it makes me wonder if that's, that was just their plan. They were like, all right, well, all the costs that we can think of that are going to go into this. Come to $158,432.
0: No, hey, wait! just hear me out. What if we rounded it up to $160? Uh,
1: all right, That's, it's risky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, boy. What? I, uh, w- Thank you so much for grabbing that link. That's wonderful and horrible yes. in, in all the best ways. I feel like it could very easily be turned into a Black Mirror episode.
1: Ah, yes. Yes. It has that, uh, that aspect to it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we're, we're coming up on an hour. So before we go, um, you said that you wanted to, um, do a live cast kind of like we do on the Orbital Mechanics, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd totally be open to that. I think, uh, having, uh, Comments from the peanut gallery would be great. (laughs)
0: Okay. So, uh, if if you're listening, and I, I bet we have about 10 listeners at this point, um, go ahead and check out our Twitter. That's, uh, notion underscore farm. And, uh, next week, we'll go ahead and tweet about how you can go ahead and listen to the show. Um, we're going to record in two weeks on Saturday morning Pacific time uh probably uh, it it might float back and forth but we're probably going to try to keep it on on Saturdays every other week so um keep an eye out and come uh come tell us what frustrates you and maybe we can uh make you feel a little bit better about it